Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Jason Pierre-Paul has opted for no surgery on his cervical fracture in his neck. The Bucks say they're hopeful he'll be back in four or five months. I'll tell you why I don't think it's going to be that long. And speaking of bad news, man, linebacker Kendall Beckwith, he's not going to play again this season. He goes on the reserve non-football injury list with an ankle injury he sustained. Remember, as a passenger in a car accident back in April of 2018. And unfortunately, the Bucks fear that this injury may be career-ending. And to continue to theme, what a dark, dark and gloomy weekend for the Rays, and that was before the lights went out for about 40 minutes or so on Sunday. First, they lose Tyler Glass now Friday to a forearm tightness. Then they lose that game. They come back with a 7-2 win behind a couple home runs by Yanni Diaz. And then on Sunday, the Rays lose 7-1 as Masahiro Tanaka was dominant. And then the Yankees, they just raked after the power outage. We've got all that and much more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to be one of our sponsors to this podcast, we have lots of ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having a ton of success, and you will too. Now, here's what you do. For information, just hit us up on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be part of our team. All right, Steve, let's uh, talk about the Rays first. And you can look at this as the Tyler Glass now is half empty or the Tyler Glass now is half full. Because uh, I guess the good news is that there was no you know torn ligament in his elbow as he went out of the game on Friday with some forearm tightness. But he's still going to miss some time. Probably what they figure, four to six weeks somewhere in there? Yeah, they're going to shut him down for 10 days. And then hopefully at that point start pitching and building him back up and assuming a four to six week outage at that point as far as until he gets back to the big league club yeah never a good thing when you lose what was at that time at least the the best one of the best pitchers in the american league um but maybe they're not going to lose him for the season and that's that's sort of what it looked like you automatically think that what they did lose however were uh a couple of catchers of course we know that uh, michael perez uh, is going to be out for a little bit but then mike zanino he ends up uh what pulling a uh, quad strain or something like that? Yeah, he did I that on the getting... Wednesday game, but we didn't find out till Friday that he was going on the injured list. That's right. So at that point, your two catchers for Friday night's game were Nick Shufo and Anthony Benboom. <laughs> Anthony Benboom, Bob, which is a great story. John Romano wrote in the Tampa Bay Times, a guy that's uh, what twenty nine years old, eight years in the minor leagues, almost gave up on his dream and made his major league debut on uh, Sunday. Um, Meanwhile, I, I, the one catcher they got, uh, another great story that they had over the weekend was uh, Travis um, Darno, right? Mm-hmm. Darno, yep. yeah. Yeah, they traded to him for the Dodgers for cash considerations. Mm-hmm. Not Kevin Cash, but cash, actual yes. real cash. He got on a red eye. He flew all the way from L.A. to Tampa, hadn't caught in two weeks, got kind of a crash course on their pitchers, and uh, then he went out there and did a really nice job, as a matter of fact, in that 7-2 to win. 
And, and you know, the one thing they talked about after that game, and it's really true, it's one thing, you know, to catch in the major leagues is probably the hardest thing, right? It's one of the hardest positions to play in, in baseball, obviously, and one of the most valuable. you got to control the running game, but you also got to handle these pitchers. And without the benefit of having even caught a bullpen with any of these guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just go out there and you're just trying to hang in there. But but consider the guys that he had to catch. You know, you, you started out with uh, – with what the opener, Ryan Stanick. Uh Ryan Stanick, who's throwing you know 100, 100 miles an hour at you, um, and and then you know you you just you get the variety of of guys that left handers, right handers, splitters, curves, um, you know, big arms, guys throwing ninety eight nine you know hundred miles an hour the entire game, you know, breaking stuff in the dirt, um, splitters. I mean, he he literally, I mean, he saw everything, whether it was from uh, Yanni Chirinos or you name it, but. It was it was quite impressive that he was able to hang in there and uh, control the running game. Threw a guy out at second base that wandered off too mm-hmm. far um, from the base. So nice job by him. But that is not the position you want to be in if you're the Rays when you're trying to handle that pitching staff. I thought he did a really really good job. But the Rays did lose, you know, two out of three to the Yankees. And you know, you go back to earlier this season when the Red Sox came in here, they weren't very hot. Um, the Yankees were playing well, but the Red Sox, you know, swept the Rays. Now they went back up to Boston and won two games in what was a rain-shortened series up there. So the Rays kind of got got even with them. But this was a this was a tough weekend, you know, for the Rays when you combine everything. Now they they did a nice job coming back on Saturday and getting the seven to two win after all the bad news. They needed a win. Um, you know, like I said, Diaz, you know, hit the ball out of the park twice. That guy's just been amazing how hard he hits the ball. He smoked a couple other line drives. I think he was three for four that day. But really, it, it, the bats have, have sort of gone a little silent. And, you know, with all these injuries starting to mount now, I think you're starting to really see them test their depth. And, you know, there are some guys that are scuffling along. You know, one guy will get hot for a little while, but they really haven't been able to put together hits. And you said it at the beginning of the year. You didn't know – if they could string together enough base hits, you know, to keep this offense, keep the, the you know, keep the conga line moving, as they say. Um, but uh, now it's starting to show up. And, and look, they're still in first place. I mean, by the, by the end of today, they could be, a, you know, a dead tie. I think the Yankees have a game. Um, you know, they're, they, they're, they, they're playing they Baltimore tonight. Yeah, they're playing Baltimore tonight. And so the Rays had a half game lead going into tonight. So that that obviously could change hands, and uh, the Rays got a series they got to start in Miami, and then they'll end up in New York playing the Yankees again. So this is going to continue, but you know, you just wonder, you know, with with such a hot start that you know just a little bit of eroding of their depth, and it, they said they had it, and they're going and now it's going to be tested if they're going to be able to sustain it. And and my my theory is because we we've talked about how. You know, they got up to this great start, but they've lost a ton of close games. They lost a lot of one-run games uh, and a lot of extra inning games as well. And and on the other, on the reverse of that is that if there's games decided by three runs or more, their record is ridiculous. You know, they, they win all of them. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that the pitching's really good. The defense, we can talk about in a minute, was supposed to be good. And That's really what worries been. me. Yeah, it's it's not been good. And then, and then the final you know, for me, the thing is, is that I I think that they're doing all they can offensively. Like this team, um, you know, while you're getting stuff out of Diaz, and I think Austin Meadows is a really nice player, um, and they got they got some pieces right. But the the reason they lose close games is because they can't separate. 
you know, the pitching, the pitching keeps them in it throughout. And, you know, uh, they've gotten off to good starts with, you know, a lot of, a lot of one, uh, first inning runs and things like that. And they managed to give themselves nice, nice leads, nice momentum to start games. But if it's two to one, you know, a lot of teams would come up, somebody hit a three run homer and they'd separate. And then before you know it, it's six to one or like the Yankees did, you know, they, uh, it, was, it was a two to one game, then three to one, then boom, seven to one. Um, the Rays haven't been able to do that with any consistency. I just don't think they have enough bats and enough, you know, consistency through, throughout that entire lineup um, that they're going to be able to separate themselves in, in many games. And they say that we expect to play a lot of close games, and that's great, but you can't hang it all on your pitching. And if your defense isn't there, then that just that just highlights your, your inadequacies at the plate. Well, Eduardo Encina asked in today's Times, he said, you know, where's the Rays' offense? That nine of their 11 runs in this series came off home runs. Mm-hmm. Which they're kind of becoming dependent on. They're only hitting two thirty seven with runners in scoring position this year. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, they had they had so many chances to win games. I remember on Friday night, you know, trailing by a run, they had uh, what bases loaded, um, nobody out, and didn't score. Mm-hmm. You know, in the eighth inning. I mean, they, yeah, and, the, game and that was, is not, the game was lost at that point. It was, and and that is not an aberration. I mean, they have done this pretty much all year, um, as, as you just noted. Their their you know their ability to uh, and not only not only just you know not score runs and when they're in those positions, but but strike out. You know their strikeouts are really high, and they're unable to move the baseball a little bit. They managed to move it. That was the irony. You know, on Saturday they managed in some situations without really hitting the ball hard. They had a couple of balls hit mm-hmm. to the infield in the right spots, but just by doing that. They created some pressure on the Yankees' defense, and and they scored a couple of runs, and then they were able to separate in that game that they won seven to two on Saturday. But in general, they just they just haven't they haven't been consistent, and certainly have failed uh, with runners in scoring position. And that's kind of that's kind of where they're at right now. I I don't know that it's going to get better. I think what this is going to have to be, if and it's this way every year in the American League East, is that they they've got to hope that they can, you know. Uh, stay around 500 and, and split series with uh, teams like the Red Sox, which right now they're they're uh, two and three against the Red Sox, and then the Yankees, and they got to go back to New York and, and hope they can take uh, that series up there. But if you can stay around 500, I think all those teams are going to kind of knock each other off. When I mean that, I mean the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays. If the Rays can be part of knocking them off and finishing 500, then it just becomes on what you, what do you do against other teams? And to date. They have one series against the lesser teams, and that's what you have to do to keep pace in the American League East. Because um, you, you know, and then you have to be competitive against those upper echelon teams. So right now the formula is okay, um, but they're definitely starting to slide a little bit in terms of you know how well they're playing, and they're not anywhere what they were you know a couple weeks ago. And now they got a tough trip, uh, you know, to play the Marlins, which it doesn't seem to matter. What kind of ball club the Marlins have? The you know the Rays typically struggle down there sometimes, and then back up uh, to New York to play the Yankees in what's going to be a big series. So um, I don't know. It's uh, it's starting to feel. You know, Kevin Cash said the other day when they when they lost uh, Zanino, and and of course you know the injury happened to Glass. Now that you know that was probably the low point of the season, and now they're going to have to see if they can dig themselves out of it. But it doesn't look like there's any cavalry that's going to come and help them. I mean, this is this is what they got, right? I mean, maybe to get Joey Wendell back sometime uh, would be a big lift for him, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, the, the catching definitely worries you. Although you know, Darno seemed to do pretty well today. 
or Saturday, and you know you'll see yeah. how he does going forward. But you'd really like to get particularly Zanino, but Michael Perez back as well. Right. This team is built on, and we've known this, built on pitching and defense. Mm-hmm. The infield defense is very worrisome right now. It is. Uh, you know, now they're missing Joey Wendell. It's a big part of it. But Daniel Robertson's been average at best defensively this year so far. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. his bat carrying over in the field yeah. or he's just made a couple bad plays. Willie Adamas makes mm. the difficult plays, but the easy throws, you hold your yep. breath. Um, yep. Yandy Diaz has made some mistakes the last few games. Today it looked like, and, and you said maybe the ball jumped out of his glove, but it looked like he forgot how many outs there were. Yeah, I didn't react quickly on, on the, the attempted double play. Mm-hmm. Um, that was for sure. You know, on, on he, he, he opened Friday me. night's game with, you know, an awful throw when he had plenty of time to mm-hmm. to G-Man Choi, which opened the game up and, and New York scored in the first inning. Yeah. You, know, you know, they cannot afford those defensive mistakes. No. And, and they've had too many of them lately, way too many of them lately for this team to overcome because they're not going to – you know they can string they can they can put some big numbers up offensively, but they don't do it consistently enough every game. You know they kind of they kind of get a wave. You know they get a couple hits in a row, and then it becomes you know six or seven runs. But there's a lot of games they're not going to have that many runs on this team. That they you know and part of that look let's be honest about it too. Part of not being as successful in one and two run games and not being able to put a lot of hits back together and runners and scoring. This is a very young team still. You know, we tend to forget that sometimes, that, you know, all these players, you know, and, and Tommy Pham's like 29, but he doesn't have a ton of major league experience. You know, Austin Meadows is still young. I mean, you know, this is a very young roster, and that's part of the growing pains of it too, is they have to learn how to, to win those games. And, and, you know, whether they can do that or not this year, we'll find out. But the pitching and defense are, are the things that you need to have there every night for them to have a chance. Yeah, and you've got to have it in the key positions. I mean, you mentioned Robertson. I mean, Willie Adamas, I'm, I'm starting to think, Steve, I mean, maybe we're seeing who he is, you know. Um, that shortstop position, <laughs> is there a more valuable spot in your infield than that? And, you know, he's about 50% on his throws, whether it's going to be a good throw or not. And when you've got G-Man Choi over there who's who's playing about as well as he can play, mm-hmm. but but you said earlier before we went on the air, on the podcast that, you know, you, you don't expect a lot of G-Man. You know he's not going to yeah. win a gold glove for you over there, and anything he gives you is sort of a bonus because you want his bat in the lineup. Frankly, I think Diaz should be playing first because he's not a good third baseman, as you as you noted. Um, you know, he'll make uh, the spectacular play every now and then, but in general, he, he, he's just sort of wooden over there. So, I mean, if you have, if you have, you know, questions at third, if your shortstop is shaky, I mean, where, where do you go in the infield to where you feel good about things? You know what I mean? It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not the same formula back those guys, the outfield, you have really no problems with because you got guys that can really cover the ground, whether Mm -hmm. it's Heredi or Kiermaier, Fam's a pretty good outfielder. Um, you know, I, I think they've been playing okay out there, mm-hmm. but yeah, the infield play has been, has been suspect at best. And, and I'm, I'm wondering about Adamez because let me tell you to play, to play that position in the major leagues, like you just mentioned, you have to make the, the normal play has to be 90 something percent, you know, way up there because, um, everybody else in the major leagues can do it. They all have that. If the balls hit at you, you shouldn't have to worry about a throw in the dirt, especially with G man over there. Um, the routine play you should make, and then you should make a few spectacular ones on top of that. 
and and he's struggling with you know I'm, I mean I think it's an adventure when the ball is hit to him because I don't think you know where the throw's going mm-hmm. if he comes up with it at all. So that's that's and then you know your, your pitchers start to lose confidence. They have to throw more pitches. The you know they they don't go as deep into games. That affects your bullpen. Yeah. Or they're trying All to throw things. more strikeouts instead of that's you know, right playing to your defensive strength. That's right. Yeah, they don't want the ball to hit. They're trying to get swings and misses, mm-hmm. and that that gets their pitch count up as well. So they get deeper yeah. into into counts and, and and walk some guys. And next thing you know, um, you know that leadoff walk winds up going around and scoring. So. It all goes hand in glove, but uh, it's it's not been the formula that that the Rays really need to really need to follow. And another young player struggling right now, not necessarily defensively, but Brendan Lau looks lost at the plate right now. Yeah, but and, what, and, and he had the five strikeouts. Then he then he had a fly ball. Then he struck out two more times. Yeah, after yeah that. eight so in a row. Like, he had eight in a row. Eight in a row. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's uh, tied a Rays franchise record of eight strikeouts in a row. Boy, that happened quickly because yeah. no. he was as hot as he could be. Well, and, and this is what happens when you come up to the show is yep. they don't know you. You start performing, they and they learn. They get to know you real quick. Yeah. And now, yeah. you know, and granted, they've, you know, they're facing some better pitchers. They're facing the Yankees and this. But, you know, they've, they're making adjustments to Brendan Lau. Now the key is what adjustments will he make back? And this is all part yeah. of what a young player goes through is, yep. is you know, they have to – you know the, the the pitchers are going to make adjustments, and they're going to make a lot quicker than they ever did in the minors, because you're dealing yep. with the best of the best right now. So mm-hmm. now he's got to make the adjustments back, but he looks lost right now at the plate. And and I think he was going to be fine, but he's really struggling right now. Yeah, and it's just all confidence. I mean that that's the thing. But you got to understand what their game plan is against you. It happens at all levels. It happened. It happened in college to me. Nobody. I mean, this is not comparing anything, but you can go up for a series and, and people don't know you, the first doubleheader, but then when they realize what your strengths are, you'll never – like I never saw a fastball again. You know, it's like, you know, breaking <laughs> ball, slider, slider, breaking ball, change up. I mean, it was like, what the hell? What just happened? And it switches that quick. And so you do. you gotta, you got to pass back. I think he's going to be a really good hitter because I love the way – I love the way he swings. I just think he's, you know, the, everything is – you know, it's all there. The bat's in the zone a long time. He's got – you know that that nice arc to it, and and I think he can hit left-handers as well as right-handers. But man, he got in a funk where it was swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss, and that starts to work with your head a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you you just want to make contact after a while, and uh, you know that now you're worried about not just you know making good con or you know getting a hit or hitting the ball hard somewhere. You're worried about just not striking out, and you can't go up there and say, you know, I'll do anything not to strike out because that's when you strike out. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get two strikes on, it, you start pressing. So. Hopefully he'll come out of that funk because they certainly need him. And that's the thing. They've never really gotten everybody going at one time. You know, these guys have been up and down. I think Meadows has probably been their most consistent hitter, but he was out for a time with the injury. And so, you know, he came back. Didn't take him long to get back in the swing of things with a home run and a double. Um, you know, he, he got things going pretty quickly. But um, outside of that, they've all just sort of taken their turns, you know, um, getting toasty and then getting cold. Mm-hmm. And you, you really can't have that many guys that are that are riding a wave like that. Yeah, and the good news – and look, there is some good news for the race too is, you know, Glass now, as we said, is only going to be down, you know, four to six weeks, they think, at this point. There's a lot of off days coming up. So it allows you to use the opener and, and use the off days to kind of take Glass now space in some of those to where you're not going three or four openers you know, in a week, you know, you're trying or you're not trying to get to four or five a week. You're trying to keep it to, you know, three, maybe a week. 
So, sure. you know, it had this happened a month from now when they all of a sudden have a string of something like 43 games in 44 days or something, it'd be a lot mm-hmm. harder to cover up for Tyler Glasnow's missing in the rotation for a few weeks. So that's a good thing. And, and look, the Rays are still nine games above 500. If anyone at the beginning of the year thought, you know, 39 games in, they'd be nine games over 500, everyone would be thrilled. Yeah, show of hands. And, and they're right? eight and seven against teams that are better than 500. Mm-hmm. It's not all doom and gloom at this point. But there are some things that worry you, and particularly when you have a starting pitcher hurt and then your defense behind the pitching is not doing what you expect it to. You know, this right. team was built to be – look, they, they knew that they weren't going to score as many runs as the Yankees and Red Sox. They, they knew that going in. It was built back again on pitching and defense, and they have some nice offensive pieces. And, boy, how nice is it to have Austin Meadows back in that lineup? Oh, my goodness. He just yeah, came in and started really raking again. Picked up right where he left yeah. off. Yeah, that, that's what was stunning is, is that look, it wasn't like he was out for very long. He hits 400-foot home runs. I mean, the guy's been a stud up to this point. Um, where would they be without him? But, you know, the weird thing is, like, as, as well as they played and, and being nine games over five. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 100 and all of that. They could not be in first place by the end of you know by sun, by the end of the night tonight. So that you know, cons- and, and you want to talk about you know teams getting better. I mean, every, you know, there was a debate uh, prior to this series. We had like a story by Mark Tompkin about you know are the Yankees Tampa's team? Yeah, they are. They're the Tampa Yankees. That's who the Rays played. I mean, they got so many guys hurt that these guys were playing in the Florida State League a year ago, <laughs> and, and so the Tampa Yankees uh, were in fact in town over the weekend. Um, with the addition of some major league pitching. Um, and by the way, when the Yankees do get healthy and start scoring runs, it, it could be really it could be really tough race to run them down because that bullpen of theirs is sick. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's sick. I mean they they've, they are they got closers on top of closers, you know down there. and and it's definitely a six inning game um, if you can even get that deep on them. But uh, you know the way Tanaka was pitching, he didn't need much help. Um, but let me tell you, what they've got down there in that bullpen is just spectacular. So um, you got to be impressed with them. We'll, you know, we'll see if the if the Rays can uh, can maintain and 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 or uh, perhaps build on their lead. But it's going to be tough. And and I wonder what kind of a psychological. You know, I mean, everybody says you don't look at the standings. You don't look at the standings. It's only May. It's about all this stuff. Yeah, okay, but they know what the standings say. You know, and and it's true. You can't. You know. They're not. They're not going to crown a champion for a very long time, and you got to kind of play the team and beat the team that's in front of you. But um, you know, when you've played as well as they've had, and you've had first place, and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, here come the Red Sox too. You know, I think they've won nine out of eleven or something. Yeah, they're like three that. games so, over five hundred. They're just three games back of the Rays. Yeah, so I mean, it's all bunched up, and the two big boys are going to come back, and the Red Sox haven't had the injuries the Yankees have, so there's really no excuse for them not to come back. And so, you know, look out, look out below. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be quite a challenge for the Rays to keep things going. And, and maybe they'll get it going in South Florida before they have to go to New York and, uh, and try to straighten out that series against them. 
Okay, so I spent my weekend mostly uh, out there at the Advent Health Training Center, also formerly known as One Buck Place, for the rookie mini camp. And there was a little bit of news. I remember at the end of the week we were talking about uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and his injury. Uh, well, over the weekend we had a chance to talk to Bruce Arians. I guess it was on Friday about Jason Pierre-Paul. And it turns out that uh, he, at this time at least, is not going to opt for surgery on what is a cervical uh, fracture in his neck. Um, however, the Bucks said that they are hopeful, Arian said that he is hopeful, that Jason Pierre-Paul could be back in about four to five months. And if you do the math, and I think I've done it correctly, you're talking about the uh, you know the end of September uh, or certainly maybe even into October. So that's that's quite a while to be without you know the number one you know sacker uh, on the defense, the guy that had 12 and a half sacks last year. And this is something the Bucks obviously weren't counting on, or perhaps they would have uh, you know, drafted even more defensive linemen in the draft, but it happened afterwards. Unfortunate, you know, he had that accident back on um, May 2nd, was driving his uh, Ferrari on I-95, and, you know, sort of it was rainy, it was wet, uh, hit something, a puddle, what have you, and lost control. The The car spun into a concrete barrier, and, uh, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul and his passenger were, were sort of, you know, transported to a hospital down there, and they were evaluated and released, and the Bucks wanted to make sure they saw JPP and sent him to specialists and whatnot up here. And then the word came out, according to my sources, Adam Schefter breaking the news that that Jason Pierre-Paul had this uh, cervical fracture and that if he needed surgery, that would probably be it for the year. I'm, I'm coming to you bearing some good news. I can't really, um, you know, this is sort of background, if you will. Um, there's no one that really wants to put their name to it, but from what I understand about about his injury, this this uh, fracture, um, it's 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 not considered that serious in terms of, you know, this is something that will heal. Um, I've been told that typically, like the normal person that went in and got this X-ray or MRI had done, and they found this, that they would you know put you in a neck collar for about you know four or five weeks, and then and that would be it. You would be done after that. Uh, the bone would heal and whatnot, and um, you know, you're good to go. Now, maybe the fact that Jason Pierre-Paul plays in the NFL, and that's, you know, certainly a high collision and impact position, impacts uh, sport for sure. Uh, maybe they want to err on the side of caution or or perhaps perhaps it's worse than uh, I've been led to believe. But I actually think that it's pretty good news for the Bucks right now that, that, you know, it seems unlikely that he would need surgery. And, you know, then it's just a matter of how, how fast – you know, he's a heal. How fast he heals? I mean, you know, everybody, you know, with with bones and things like that, they'll continue to monitor it and do MRIs and try to see when everything is healed up in there. Uh, but my understanding, anyway, is that this is a good thing. That that that's very very unlikely that he would need surgery. So, again, um, depends on how you look at things. He could be out for the year, uh, and that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case with JPP. No, this is huge news for the Buccaneers. Is you know we've documented the lack of depth on the defensive line. Oh, they have gosh, a few yeah. pieces here and there, but you know, and he was the most effective member of that unit last year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was you know, a pretty good trade, Jason. You know, Light made to get him, but and you're expecting yeah. on him to be a big part of this defense. So the fact that look, if he's out four to five months, I mean, four months is right about the start of the season. Yeah, it is. You know, you're it early is. to mid September. And then he would need some time to practice, and you know he's not just going to you know show up on Sunday one day. Um, you'd have to get him on the field for a couple of weeks and, and get mm-hmm. you know he would he would not have had a, a training camp, he would not have had an off season or a preseason. 
uh, or any game time whatsoever. So, um, you know, that, that would probably take some additional weeks as well. One guy, unfortunately, you're not going to see is going to be linebacker Kendall Beckwith. Now, this wasn't necessarily a surprise. I think we all knew the way this was going. If you remember Beckwith uh, a year ago, just about this time, really about 13 months ago, he was in an automobile accident. He was a passenger in a car driven by one of his former LSU teammates, I think, um, and he uh, fractured his ankle. He had to have surgery on it, as a matter of fact. And that was back in April of 2018, and he came back, and uh, when he started the year in a non-football injury list, they thought, well, maybe by midseason or something thereabouts, and he did around week six or so. He, he got to practice for about two to three weeks to try that ankle, and it just never got any better. And so they shut him down. They finished the year sort of on this non-reserved non-football injury list. Uh, and then, then they sent him to specialists after specialists this offseason. Things didn't look good. I don't know if you – know, I don't have specifics on what happened to the injury. We know there was a fracture. Uh, perhaps there's some nerve damage. I really can't say exactly why that Kendall Beckwith uh, is still unable to play because it, it couldn't have been something simple or, or else he'd be back on the field. And, and very often you think – well, broken bones heal. That that sometimes is better than ligaments or something like that. But we don't know how badly his ankle was mangled in this accident. And you can only go by what they're telling us, which is um, he's out for this season. And there's a real fear here that Kendall Beckwith may have lost his career. And Bruce Arians said it in the press conference, you hate to see a guy lose his career for something uh, other than football, right? It's dangerous enough profession and to have something happen off the field to take away your dream and and you know Beckwith played really well as a rookie I mean he was a third round draft pick he came in here if you remember Levante David was hurt I think Quan Alexander had some issues and Beckwith played right away played almost all three linebacker positions Mm -hmm. had around 73 74 tackles as a rookie one sack one forced fumble he's a big guy you know he was an energetic guy very upbeat um, you know sort of a, a a leader on this football team and it's just it's heartbreaking because you know, the, the guy had his dream and was succeeding at it. Uh, and then it's unfortunate that an, another, we're talking about another automobile accident, uh, winds up uh, doing this to his career. As far as the minicamp went, um, you know, it, it's hard to really gauge a whole lot out there when you're, you know, you're seeing offensive linemen and defensive linemen unable to really make contact or certainly the kind that they, they want to make because they're in helmets and shorts and, and that sort of thing. So tough to evaluate those guys, but as Bruce Arian said, you know, a lot of those guys, including the quarterbacks, had never even been in a huddle before. They play in these spread offenses, and, you know, they, they don't call plays. They're called from the sideline. They look over there at cards or whatnot. Um, he was funny. Arian said that he told, you know, one defensive lineman, or I believe it was a defensive lineman, you know, to put your hand in the dirt, and the guy didn't know what that meant <laughs> because he had no idea what I was talking about. And I think it seems pretty obvious. You put your hand in the dirt. You know, you're in a three-point stance. But these guys are used to standing up all the time and and really don't come off the ball and uh, that sort of thing. So there was definitely a learning curve. They threw a lot at these these players over the weekend. Um, We did a lot of stories in the Tampa Bay Times. I want you to make sure you guys go back and read those on tampabay.com. Vincent Testaverde Jr. was out there as well on a tryout basis. Uh, There's a story on him. I wrote a story about a guy I think is going to make the football team. Um, he, he's he's really a pretty good player, to be honest with you. It's Cousin Daniels, who uh, you know is made some news because just prior to the draft, it was discovered that uh, he is blind in his right eye, and it's not just legally blind; like he has no no vision at all. 
And, you know, Daniels was, was somebody that uh, sort of had this disability since he was five years old. He was lost sight in that eye. He was riding his bike near his grandmother's house in New Jersey, Orange, New Jersey, and hopped up on a sidewalk and hit something and went, you know, head over tea kettle. And there was a pole that was uh, sticking out of a chain link fence, and he did a face plant right into it. And uh, this pole, you know, uh, damaged his eye and, um, you know, he wound up losing vision in it. And when he was young, he had to wear an eye patch and all that stuff. And that sort of made him sort of introverted and just, you know, really kind of focused and things like that. Um, and, you know, he played, I think he played one year of Pop Warner football, perhaps. Um, but there came a time in high school when he was sort of, you know, just a skinny kid walking the halls in Newark. Uh, and, um, you know, a uh, high school football coach, Ashley uh, Smoke Pierre, at uh, Behringer High School saw this kid and said, you know what, you need to come out and play football. He says, well, I really never played except the one year in Pop Warner. And, and and it's something like Daniels never spoke about his disability. I mean, even his girlfriend, until they did a story on him just before the draft, she was unaware of it. Uh, it was just something, you know, he didn't consider it um, really, you know, breaking news. And as he said, he wasn't going to stand on the rooftops and shout it. Um, and, and he's had no problems. I mean, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. You look on film, he's able to, you know, to line up on the left side, on the right side. It doesn't seem to matter. Uh, and the guy had, what, like 34 and a half sacks, I think, um, playing in Division II, University of Charleston in West Virginia. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that's now moved to outside linebacker in Todd Bowles' system. And I think that's going to be a great spot for him because he's a very good athlete. He's got a tremendous get off. That's the sort of thing you could see in the rookie minicamp is watching these guys in drills and seeing how fast they get off the football and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly Daniels is, is somebody, especially with JPP situation now, being tenuous at best. You know, you're looking for those edge rushers. You're looking for those guys. You don't know what you're going to get out of Noah Spence. You know, you, you sign Shaq Barrett as, as an outside pass rusher. You know, you've got some guys in, in Carl Nassib. And, you know, you're hoping that uh, that somebody steps up when JP in JP's absence. But we, we really don't know how that's all going to work. So that's why I think Daniels has a pretty good chance. So if you get a, a, an opportunity, uh, we'll probably play um, we'll probably play his his interview sometime uh, this week or later this week. Sometime you'll hear from from Cousin. Um, it, it's really an interesting story as he tells it. And, and he's also a role model. I mean, he's a guy that wants to use this platform uh, to let kids know that, uh, you know, if you have a disability or something like that, don't let it stop your dreams. You know, don't let it get in your way. And he certainly didn't. And uh, I think some you know, 70% of of, uh, of children with some kind of disability never, never attempt to play sports. And, and that's that's a shame because there's so much that can be gained from it. And, um, you know, I, I mean, never never let them tell you you can't do it. And so that's, that's sort of his message, and he embraces it. Uh, and it was fun meeting him. Uh, as far as a tryout goes, uh, or the the rookie minicamp, actually, you know, ex- who you expected to stand out really stood out. You know, uh, you know, I just think that <clears throat> their draft picks look really, really good to me. And you know, all those guys, and it's hard it's hard to see them because again, they're just they're sort of just running around. So there's no real no real rhyme or reason about uh, what you're watching. And you got quarterbacks that you know, are trying to digest a playbook, and some of these guys are not going to be NFL quarterbacks, let's be honest. So it's it, you want them to t- try to complete passes and try to do some things, um, and you really don't always see that. But, the, you know, some people showed up. Scotty Miller, 
who is uh, you know a, a very fast wide receiver that they drafted from Bowling Green. He looks like a guy that's going to be uh, you know somebody that could help them. Now the, the receiver position is very crowded, so he'll have to do some things on special teams. He's, they're looking at him as somebody who can uh, return kicks and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of people, you know, with the number ten and you know being a white receiver, they think, oh, he's he's the next Adam Humphreys, and really he's built more like Deshaun Jackson, and that's sort of more like the position he would play uh, in this offense. And you know, as as far as like getting down the field, creating separation, being a deep threat, that sort of thing. Because in Bruce Arians' offense, if you play in the slot, you're going to have to block. And do some run blocking on some, you know, some safeties and some people, some linebackers, uh, and that's that's just not what you're what you're going to get out of Scotty Miller. But he looked very good. Devin White, of course, uh, the leadership, you know, showed through right away. He was calling the huddle. He was excited to go. He was ready to go uh, as soon as the rookie minicamp started. Uh, dropped a pick six on Friday, I guess it was. Came back with a pick six on Sunday. A lot of guys got their hands on the football. That was good to see. And then after the rookie minicamp, you know, there's always guys that are tryout players that the Bucks wind up signing. One of those is uh, Spencer Schnell from Illinois State as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent. He was impressive. Um, so, you know, he joins the mix as far as the wide receivers go. Uh, they had another guy in uh, David Kenny who joined the 90-man roster, uh, assuming that he can – uh, you know, pass the physical and all that sort of thing. He had an impressive weekend, played at Indiana and Illinois State. He was somebody that uh, uh, that did a good job out there. And then um, another player, Riley Mayfield, who was an offensive tackle from North Texas. He played right tackle in college, so he's somebody else that they signed as well. So they signed a, a number of guys out there, and we're almost to the 90-man camp. Now what's going to happen now is – Starting Tuesday of this week, it'll be the full squad. It'll be both the rookies and the veterans, and they start really what is kind of phase three of the off-season program. This is going to be organized team activities, um, and you know they're going to have these really throughout the month of uh, the rest of the month of May and part of June until they, you know, finish up with a mini camp. I think sometime at the end of June, and that'll be it until they go to training camp. So we'll have an opportunity on Tuesday to be back out there uh, with the Bucks and talking to Bruce Arians and. You know, we'll see uh, this this whole JPP thing. You wonder how it may or may not affect Gerald McCoy. And, uh, you know, Gerald McCoy is certainly, you know, his career is sort of up in the air. A lot of rhetoric about whether or not the Bucks are going to pay him the $13 million with the JPP thing influence him one way or the other. I'm told it probably won't. I saw he was interviewed over the weekend at Dick Vitale's thing, which, by the way, Man, Dickie V does a hell of a job for uh, children's cancer. $4.3 million they raised this year. It's an incredible amount of money. I mean, it just it, – and, he, and he's, he does this every year, and it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, what he does for, for those kids and for the families uh, who are going through this sort of thing, I mean, it's just spectacular. Uh, he had the gala, and, of course, the star-studded list of people showed up, including Gerald McCoy, and he was uh, interviewed, I think, by uh, Mike Cairns uh, out there at uh, uh, Spectrum uh, 360, and he didn't say much other than – He's going to be playing football somewhere next year in the NFL, I guess, which is reassuring. Um, but he, he really didn't want to talk about uh, the Bucks and just where that situation is. But I think, Steve, I think this is coming to a head. I, I, if I were somebody who represented Gerald McCoy or, or, or even if I was Gerald McCoy, uh, I would say, okay, enough is enough. You know, you've been through the draft now. You've had your rookie minicamp. 
Am I in? Am I out? You know, you know the JPP situation. I mean, you got all your cards, you know, are in your hand now. There's nothing, no mystery to this. What are we, you know, what are you going to do? Am I playing here for the 13 million? Um, do you want to offer me less? Uh, you know, if that's the case, I'd rather go someplace else. Is there a team that you think they really would be interested in trading me? Or are you just going to hold on to them and say, you know, uh, until we have to sign Devin White? Now, they did sign over the weekend five of their eight draft picks. Um, and, and most of those are easy signings because, remember, only the top 51 contracts count against the salary cap. So even if a guy gets, say, $800,000 this year, maybe your 51st contract was for 600000 and so that's only 200000 more that goes on your salary cap. So that's sort of how you're able to sign, you know, five draft picks already. But when you get to Devin White, you're talking about $5 million. Um, and so it, it gets those numbers get pretty pricey up near the top of the draft, and that's when they may have to clear more space because I think they're only a, a million or so uh, of cap space left. So we'll see what they do. I think it's coming to a head, and it could be this week. Um, but if I'm Gerald McCoy – I don't want to. I don't want to be approached by many more microphones asking me what I'm going to do because I would like to know what I'm going to do, uh, and and I would think they would try to you know push for a resolution of that coming up pretty quickly. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey, this week the Rays are at Miami, of course, uh, starting tomorrow. Big series there before they head up to New York and take on the Yankees again. The Bucks are going to open their full squad organized team activities. This is going to be both the rookies and the veterans, and what is sort of a phase three, if you will, of their off-season workout program, which is still voluntary, by the way. Uh, I'll be out there on Tuesday for that. And then the PGA Championship is this week at Beth Page Black. And Tiger Woods will try to go for his uh, Grand Slam in his second major of the year after winning the Masters. So something to look forward to there. And as always, folks, uh, if you'd like to have an opportunity to be one of our sponsors, we'd love to have you. You can reach us. For more information on Twitter, at SportsDayTB, you can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 